This is episode 193 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are How to Raise Backyard Chickens, a Step-by-Step Guide, 8 Silver Stacking Tips for Beginners, and Mental Rehearsal. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. All right, guys. Hey, welcome to episode 193, all of you experienced preppers and uh, those of you new to the podcast, all of you trying to live and desiring to live a more self-reliant life. Hey, uh, I got to tell you, uh, yesterday I talked a little bit about uh, going on Facebook Live and talking a little bit about uh, my favorite EDC kit uh, that I use on, you know, on a regular basis. And uh, the more that I've been thinking about it, the more that this is uh, kind of uh, evolving. And I'm just kind of, I, I can't lie to you, I'm getting a little excited about uh, just the possibilities of, of this. And um, so uh, it, it's just, it's kind of dangerous though when I start thinking, my mind just starts racing on uh, different things that, you know, are possible out there. Because I always have a lot of ideas and I always need to just tamper them down a little bit. And I really got to think about what I'm, um, you know, where I'm going with it. I really, really thought long and hard about the podcast. I mean, I really fought with that. Uh, I've talked about before that I, I didn't want to just start a podcast that, uh, and, and regurgitate what other people were doing out there. I can't like out, out Jack Spirko, you know, Jack Spirko over at the Survival Podcast and, and you know, Lisa and, and, and Dell and, and, uh, and then uh, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and, and Mark Goodwin and, and all the other great podcasts that are out there. I can't, I just can't, you know, recreate that on a regular basis. Um, but I, I knew that there was, uh, that there was this open door and that this was a great possibility to do this. And so, but I really took a long time to think about it. And I even prayed about it. And uh, so, you know, I, I'm very careful about when I start moving into some other things. And so I know that this, this could kind of get away from me. Uh, there are times where I, I just, you know, I, I do too much. And so I've learned to start to say no and like, no, that, that's, that's going crazy. But so this thing started to evolve a little bit in my head. Where uh, just not talking about my favorite EDC, but uh, talking about building an effective EDC kit, and so it was just crazy because sometimes I just get this flood of uh, just ideas, and so I start trying to write them down as soon as I, you know, as soon as they're coming, and uh, you know, actually I, I type them out, and uh, as soon as they're coming, and so coming up with these ideas, and the Facebook Live, uh, I, you know, I have access to a software called Zoom. And uh, basically, that's kind of like an online meeting software, kind of like Skype or whatever. But uh, uh, join me or you know, to go meeting or whatever. And uh, but it has a function where I can connect it to Facebook Live, and uh, I can bring people on uh, as well. Uh, I, I'm not 100% sure it can it can work. I'm gonna try it out. So those of you that listen to the podcast, which are also on the Facebook page, um, I might be doing it this weekend. I might try to bring someone in and then see what we can do. See if it'll work. Um, I think I got to get get it turned on, the function turned on. But when, once I do, uh, I'll be good to go. And then I can like share things from my uh, from my computer and different things like that. So I'm kind of you know excited about that. So we'll see uh, we'll see all if all that pans out. 
Uh, at the very, very minimum, I'll just be straight on Facebook Live and uh, doing the building an effective EDC kit. Uh, kind of, a, I guess, a, like a mini webinar, I guess. Um, so that's going to be next Tuesday, November uh, 21st at 7 p.m. Central Time. And um, if you're not part of the Facebook group, Facebook page over there, uh, I'm not doing it in the group. I'm doing it on the page and I'm purposely doing it on the page, not in the group because I don't want people to join just for, for the webinar. Um, and so uh, I'll, I'll be doing it there. Just come. All you got to do is like it. And I think once you like it, You'll give you if you're on Facebook, you'll be notified that uh, that I've gone live, and uh, so I'm, I'm kind of excited about that, and excited about the possibilities because if I can bring other people on and kind of maybe even interview them uh, while I'm uh, you know while we're live on Facebook Live, and uh, man, that that would be something really really cool to do, and so uh, we'll see we'll see what happens with that. So uh, keep your uh, you know keep your ears peeled for uh, I guess it's not ears peeled. Uh, it's, I guess it's your eyes peeled. I don't know. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of excited. So I'm just talking and jabbering and going forth. All right. So let's go ahead and move forward with our first article. It comes to us from the survivalistblog.net, uh, MD Creekmore's uh, website over there. And uh, when I was looking at the comments, so you know, he's got a big uh, following over there. Uh, there was comments, a lot of comments, but uh, there were older older comments so this article is actually from 2011 but it, it was updated and so um, that's why it showed up in the feeds recently and uh, I think chickens backyard chickens are an important uh, aspect of preparedness if you can there's so much benefit to having chickens um, you can use them in so many different ways not just the eggs and not just the meat um, but anyway I, I really think uh, that you that everyone who can have chickens should have chickens um, they're they're just very very beneficial there's a lot of benefit to having them and uh, this article uh, maybe might uh, inspire some of you if you have the ability to have chickens uh, might inspire you to go ahead and start so uh, and even if not uh, the information here is uh, is really good and so I hope you you uh, you stay stay with it and listen to it so here we go, how to raise chicken, backyard chickens, a step-by-step -step guide. Chickens are ideally suited for survivalists who want to prepare for disaster, especially those living in urban or suburban settings who may not have ready access to hunting lands or fishing streams. These dual-purpose birds are easy to raise and they provide both eggs and meat during hard times. Indeed, because of the growing movement towards local foods and self-sustainability, Chicken farming has reached a new level of popularity and trendiness. Browse the homesteading section of any bookstore and you'll find numerous books about raising chickens in both rural and urban settings. Although these books are loaded with great information, I've learned through experience that keeping chickens is a relatively simple venture that requires very little time and work. Here's a step-by-step -step guide. Number one, check your local laws if you live in a suburban or urban area. You should check your local laws to ensure that backyard chickens are permitted. You may be surprised to discover that a small flock is allowed within your city limits. Baltimore, Seattle, and St. Louis are just a few of the cities that permit chickens. You may still have to follow certain regulations, such as limiting your flock to just three or six hens, and roosters are allowed. Step 2. Prepare their home. Your chickens will need a home to roost. The size and luxuries are dependent on your personal situation. 
but all chickens will need a coop to safely sleep at night. The coop needs to be well ventilated, safe from predators. It should have a roost for your chickens and nest box. About one nest box for every three to five chickens. Coops can be purchased pre-made in kits that you assemble or you can build it yourself. Old sheds, kids playhouses, and dog houses can all be easily modified into a functional chicken coop. On average, plan to have at least four square feet of coop space per bird if you choose average sized chickens. Before putting your birds in your coop, look it over carefully and ensure there are no spaces where a predator can enter during the night. Cover any openings in your coop with hardware, cloth, a wire fencing with small holes, and make sure you have plenty of ventilation for your chickens too. Keeping the coop too stuffy can lead to respiration problems and disease. A few windows covered with hardware cloth will help keep the air fresh inside your coop while still preventing predators from attacking your flock. Your coop should also have some type of litter on the bottom, like straw or sand. Clean this whenever it starts to develop an odor. My flock of five birds in a fairly small coop requires I clean the straw litter about once a month. Step 3. Give them a space to roam. It's not healthy for your birds to keep them cooped up all day, so they'll need a space to roam outdoors. While outside, your chickens will soak in the sun, nibble on the grass, and munch on bugs, all behaviors that help keep them healthy and happy. In an urban setting, you will probably need a fenced chicken run for their safety and to prevent them from annoying your neighbors. If you have a rural farm or a big fenced backyard, you may simply choose to allow your chickens to roam free range on your property without the restriction of fencing. Depending on the predators in your area, which can range from hawks to weasels to fox to stray dogs, you may want to consider making your run predator-proof by covering the top with hard wire, hardware cloth. Unless your chickens are free range, it's best to plan for 10 square feet of run space per bird. Number four, pick your chicken breed. When I initially purchased my first flock of birds, I chose a variety of breeds. I wanted to become familiar with different breeds, including their personality, temperament, and egg production, before settling on one particular type of bird. My recommendation for survivalists and my plan for my next flock is to choose just one breed of bird. Should the need for breeding arise in an end-of-the-world situation, having one type of bird helps to ensure that your chickens will breed true rather than future generations becoming sterile or having decreased egg production. Research chicken breeds thoroughly before deciding on one. Some do better in colder climates. Some tolerate confinement better than others. Some are more sociable, others are more temperamental. My one suggestion is to choose a dual purpose bird rather than a breed known strictly for either eggs or meat. An egg bird is too skinny to provide a meaty meal at the end of its life and a meat bird will eat a lot of feed without laying a lot of eggs. Dual purpose chickens aren't the top birds for either eggs or meat but they do reasonably well at both. In addition, you'll need to decide what age of chickens you want to initially purchase. Baby chicks are readily available in the spring and fairly inexpensive, around $1-$2 to $2 per bird, but they require additional care. You'll need to keep a heat lamp on them until they are fully feathered, around 8 weeks old, and watch them closely for signs of illness or disease. Older chickens are more expensive per bird, anywhere from $6-$20, to $20, but they don't require as much care. Step 5. Feed and water your flock. 
Your local feed store, hardware store, or pet store should be able to provide you with chicken food. Chickens have different stages of life which require different nutrients. Typically, there are different types of food for baby chicks, pullets, which are chickens before they've laid an egg, and hens, chickens who have started laying. Your chickens should have food available to them in a chicken feeder at all times. They should also have fresh water constantly available. Feeders, waterers, and food are all available as farm stores, at farm stores and through online resources. Keep everything clean and sanitary to prevent illness among your hens. Although this may sound like a complicated chore, it actually is relatively simple. For my small flock, I rinse and refill the waterers and feeders just twice a week. It's a 10-minute task that requires very little effort. In addition, you can feed your chickens table scraps if you'd like. My hens love bits of strawberries, rice, macaroni, cheese, and green beans. You should also supplement their diet with something high in calcium, like ground oyster shells or ground eggshells, and grit, small pebbles to help them chew their food, which is also available at farm stores. I don't remember, uh, just side note, I don't remember macaroni and cheese being part of, uh, just in the past, in articles that I've read uh, about that. So you might want to double check on that. Um, and then the, I don't know about rice. I might be completely, completely wrong on that. Uh, I know uh, when we had chickens, I fed them all the kind of the vegetables and the, the scraps and the fruit. And, you know, if I uh, cut the tops off the strawberries, um, I would, and during the summertime, I would freeze those and uh, put those uh, and then and just go give it to them, you know, in the heat of the day. And they love that. Um, they would always go after that. Um, if I did an apple, you know, I cut up an apple, I would always throw the core in there. They love to go after that. I mean, they love that fruit and vegetables and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's kind of really what I what I uh, I stayed with. I'm not too sure about all the like I said the other stuff. You're gonna have to. Um, I I didn't do that, so you're gonna have to research that. I just don't remember reading um, uh, about like rice and macaroni and cheese uh, when when I was uh, when I've read articles on chickens before. So anyway, I just want to leave you with that. Okay, so uh, moving on, uh, step six, watch your birds. Although chicken farming can be a very hands-off experience, it's best to watch out for your chickens. Check their run and coop periodically to ensure there are no spots where a predator can enter. Keep an eye out for signs of disease or illness. Make sure they seem happy and content. They will coo and chatter when they're happy, and they'll seem listless when they're feeling sick. Expect a certain amount of squabbles between your birds, especially when they're first establishing their hierarchy or pecking order. Chickens are very social birds and they can be great fun to watch. Step 7. Enjoy your eggs. The average chicken will begin laying eggs at around the age of 18 to 20 weeks. To encourage egg laying in the proper place, consider placing a fake egg in a nest box. In general, chickens lay their eggs during the day, so check the nest box every afternoon. Most dual-purpose birds will lay about four eggs a week, although egg production will decline in the fall and winter when there's less sunlight. Chickens also typically go through a molting period once a year that lasts a few weeks during which they lose their feathers and stop laying. Most chickens produce the most eggs during their first year of laying. After that, they will lay fewer and fewer eggs each year. Once their egg production reaches an undesirable level for your particular situation, a dual-purpose bird can be very tasty in the stew pot. Do you keep backyard chickens? How many? What have you learned? Let us know in the comments below. So like I said, 
There's a lot of comments here you can go and uh, check out. We have done a lot of uh, articles on Prepper website about chickens and if you go to the tag cloud you will find tons of information there but again i think uh, if you can have chickens i think you should i it, like the article said it really doesn't require too much time uh you you do you do need to go check on them uh they do uh provide a, a lot of fun uh you know the, the, just watching them and 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 uh a lot of entertainment is what i'm trying to say um, but uh, you'll you'll totally love the eggs. Um, if I needed to go one way or the other, I would, uh, as far as the, the dual laying, uh, I would, you know, if your backyard chicken, you know, you have a backyard uh, coop and maybe you have two or three uh, chickens, uh, you're probably mostly doing it for the eggs. And I would lean more to the egg producing chickens um, if you if you're doing it for that. Uh, especially if you're one of those who like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go ahead and cull them, uh, you know, or harvest them when it's time to, to go, uh, when they're not producing anymore. Uh, so I don't know. And I know I had heard from someone who said the SPCA winds up getting a lot of chickens from people who, uh, you know, have them as egg layers and then they stop laying eggs. And so they don't want to feed them anymore. So they take them to the SPCA. And so the SPCA is like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what they do with them or, or whatever. Uh, what happens there? Uh, but I would lean to the egg producing more uh, if I had to ch pick one. The dual purpose. If you're going to, you know that you're going to go ahead and and when they stop producing, then you're going to go ahead and put them in the stew pot, like the uh, uh, like the article said. Then go for it. You know. Um, but uh, I don't know. The eggs. Uh, you miss the eggs once you you don't have the chickens anymore, or they're not laying, or it's winter time and they're not laying as often. Uh, you do miss the eggs. So anyway, a good article over at the survivalistblog.net. Go check it out. There are links uh, within the article that you'll uh, want to uh, click on and uh, see where they take you. All right, our next article. I've, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. Um, it's called Eight Silver Stacking Tips for Beginners, and it's coming to us from smartpreppergear.com. Uh, it's been a while since we read an article from them, but um, I think this is a good article when we're, you know, I'm trying to to provide a range of articles out there. And uh, so you might say, hey, Todd, I don't know if I'm in a position where I can start buying silver uh, or start stacking silver. Um, that's not something that uh, that's viable. Well, you can do it with, uh, with you know, you can buy some very small amounts of silver. Uh, you, you might be surprised at what you can buy. Um, and But I, I think it's something that you at least should know. Uh, a lot of the times, if you've ever read uh, one of the dystopian novels, um, I know that there are a lot in Mark Goodwin's novels and then other other novels out there. Um, along, you know, after society, you know, has its little freak out, and then it comes back online and people start bartering and trading and selling again. Silver always plays into that. So we don't buy silver just for that or whatever. Um, there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, one of the um, one of the things I remember Chris Martinson. Uh, talking about, um, I believe in one of his articles over at Peak Prosperity, um, he talked about how, um, like in England and with all the different, like you know, every time there was a revolt, right? There, somebody, um, a new king came into play, or or whatever, and maybe not just in England, but in Europe, um, the way that the families, because you always hear about you know families, the old money or whatever, the way that they really kept their money 
is they were they they kept it I guess very uh, in in transferable uh, means right so if they had to let's say they had to bug out because um, I don't know let me just take a, an example let's just say they were a Protestant and uh, the Catholics took over and they they were running for their lives because the the Catholics were putting all the Protestants to death or something I don't know something along those lines right. So what they would do is they would take the deed to their uh, to their property. Uh, they would make sure that they had that deed. They would also take their uh, they would have things like in gold and they because gold uh, you would have such a, a much bigger store of wealth in a smaller uh, in, in a smaller item, right? So you would have uh, gold and you would have silver as well, but gold was always that smaller thing. So they would have it in gold and they would be able to move very quickly with that. And the other thing that they had was in art so that they would put their money in art. And so they, they might not uh, have carry the frame. They would have the, uh, the artwork outside of the frame or take the frame off and they'd roll up the art. And so that's how they would you know, travel and they would get out and they would keep their wealth, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, recently, um, I think yesterday, um, one of Leonardo da Vinci's, it's the, I believe it's the only piece of artwork that is uh, in public hands uh, sold for $450 million, right? And so I was reading on Martin Armstrong's uh, blog, uh, Armstrong Economics, and uh, one of the, the last comments that he made, because he was talking a little bit about this, uh, one of the last comments is, is that uh, money is finding its way into uh, tangible goods. And so if you had a lot of money and you had $450 million in, uh, you know, in a bank account somewhere and you were concerned that there was going to be a collapse or you were concerned that there was going to be uh, you know, something happened where the bank was going to say, hey, I'm grabbing your money. And by the way, I know that we've talked about Saudi Arabia here recently. There was something that I saw an article come by. Uh, come through that said um, those that uh, that were were kind of taken up as as prisoners and being held at the Ritz Carlton uh, that they could be freed if they you know if they paid a certain amount of money and basically what Saudi Arabia is doing is they have these ideas are trying to get themselves off of oil um, the the new guy the prince, crown prince who uh, I think Drudge Report has an article uh, this evening stating that uh, the king is going to abdicate his throne within a week. And so this, this crown prince who is there, he's a mover and a shaker, he's, he's uh, going to be the king, and he's wanting to reshape Saudi Arabia into uh, a different economic power and focus on other things other than just oil because they see the writing on the wall. They see that if they continue just counting on oil that they're going to go you know they're going to go uh, eventually they're going to go downhill and so they're trying to while they have money they're trying to um you know to diversify uh, that's the word i'm trying to find and so uh you you have those kinds of things going so uh you know government is always trying to find money and the more that um uh, we get into dire straits and the more that government is, seems to be struggling and, and wants to continue the status quo, they will continue to tax, they will continue to try to get as much money as they can and bring as much money into the government as they can. And so if there is a collapse, 
Um, these banks, you know, the government's not going to bail them out. Banks are going to do a bail in. They're going to grab what uh, what's inside uh, inside of the bank, kind of like what Greece did. And so, people who have a lot of money are starting to, you know, they see writing on the wall, and they're starting to say, "Hey, we we want to make sure that our money is stays our money and doesn't turn out to be the government's money or the bank's money." And so, you know, you have this Leonardo da Vinci's. Um, you know, you have a painting that's always going to be worth a lot of money. I'm going to dump $450 million into, I mean, almost half a billion dollars into a painting that, that this person knows that it would, you know, store their wealth. So uh, there is that, the, that aspect of it that you're keeping it in tangible means uh, somehow. Um, I know, uh, I remember uh, Fernando Aguirre, first of all, uh, uh, the modern he runs modern survivalist uh, and he does a lot of videos he doesn't do so many articles anymore um, but he you know talked about the collapse in Argentina and then he moved to Ireland and then I think they've moved to Spain I don't know why he moved to Spain from from Ireland um, because uh, the economics in Spain I think were were I don't know maybe it's both but um, one of the things that he talked about in traveling was in, in carrying gold because you can carry so much more wealth in a gold coin versus uh, silver, right? But uh, if you have the ability to stack silver, silver is you know doesn't cost as much. You can stack silver and you can still have this store of wealth because it it would be worth. Uh, something more than fiat money or something more than uh, you know than dollars you know it would hold its its wealth um, I actually um, not too long ago when I was doing the preparedness review and you can actually still link to it uh, I would put together I would find articles that were out there that I thought were really great and I would ask permission from uh, the website um, authors if they or if they wanted to um, provide this article and I would put it like in an e-journal uh, and so I did that for a while there's a couple of um, there's a couple of episodes um, not episodes versions out there editions is what I'm trying to say there's a couple of editions out there and on one of them I asked uh, James Wesley Rawls of survival blog I remember in one of his books he talked a little bit about silver so one of the characters uh, it's actually a dad is writing a letter to his two kids and um, is letting them know about silver and how silver holds its value throughout the years and all this good stuff. And uh, I asked James if he would, uh, if I could use that, uh, you know, that that story within that chapter, and he sent it to me, and I put it in there. And so uh, I will link to it in the show notes. And uh, if you've never downloaded that, the, the preparedness review. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, I'll welcome you to uh, to go check that out. Um, there's, a, you know, there's a, some nice PDFs with a lot of great articles in there. Really, really good articles, and the, the type of articles that you would want to uh, maybe print out and put in a preparedness binder or put on a flash drive so that you could keep, so that you could have that kind of information. And so uh, I love that that information about that store of of, uh, of value in silver. So. Man, I have talked a lot uh, going into this article, so let's just go ahead and jump into it. Uh, again, eight silver stacking tips for beginners from smartpreppergear.com. 
Silver stacking is called the act of stockpiling silver by collectors and investors. When it comes to silver stacking, I believe that there is a right and wrong way. So I want to share some silver stacking tips for beginners so that you can stack the right way. When you think of stockpiling, you think of just buying a bunch of random stuff. There is no real sense of order or goal accomplishment. Everyone should have a goal when it comes to silver stacking. Hopefully, this post will prevent you from making the same mistake that I made. Along with that, this should help you to develop a strategy so that you can meet your goals. Number one, put together a strategy. Everyone has different reasons and motives for silver stacking. Some people are stacking silver as a hedge against inflation. Others stack silver as a hobby. Very few people stack silver as a way to make money. So when you begin stacking silver, you need to fully understand your reason for stacking. This will help you then develop a strategy. Now this strategy may not be set in stone. It can evolve over time. So this would be the first of eight silver stacking tips for beginners. Begin with your end goal. If you are looking to have a hedge against inflation, then how much do you want to have at the end of the day? If you're collecting as a hobby, how big of a collection do you want to ultimately have? What kind of collection do you want to have? Answering these questions still will help you develop that strategy. Begin with the end in mind, then work backwards. Number two, determine a budget. If you're stacking for wealth security, you may be tempted to spend your whole paycheck on a stack. However, your purchase shouldn't be motivated by fear. Like I say in the strategic prepper, your purchasing decisions should be determined by your strategic plan. You don't want to blow your check on a stack and then not be able to eat until the next paycheck. You should think of your silver stack as a savings account. When you budget, you typically designate a certain portion of your check to put towards savings. This should be the same for silver stacking. I've heard and read so many different recommendations on how to diversify your stack. Some people recommend stacking 70% silver and 30% gold. I don't think there is one real correct answer. You have to determine what is best for you according to your budget. Determining is the second most important suggestion of silver stacking tips for beginners. However, before developing a budget for silver stacking, you should have some paper money saved first. You should have at least six to eight months of expenses saved. Then after that, you should begin your silver stacking. This is because silver isn't currently as liquid as fiat currency. If you're in a crunch and need money fast, then you won't have time to cash out your stack. It would take too long to sell at a coin collector, finding a local buyer, or getting an online buyer. Number three, understand pricing. The thing about the silver market is that the price is always changing. It doesn't remain constant. You should periodically check goldprice.org to get updates in real time of silver pricing. When you purchase silver bullion, you will have to pay a premium above spot price. The spot price is ultimately the asking or melting price for silver. The kind of bullion that you purchase will determine the premium price. Typically, less recognizable silver bullion will have a lower premium. For example, you buy plain silver rounds with no designs or mint. The premium will typically only be around $0.50 cents to $2 over spot. This is in comparison to minted rounds like American Silver Eagles. They typically have a premium of 3 to $6 above spot. You should think that the cheaper premium would be the way to go, right? Wrong. Typically, the more recognizable bullion like Silver Eagles will be easier to liquidate if you need to. The mint confirms the authenticity and value. Non-minted silver rounds are more challenging to verify authenticity or value. 
it is more challenging to determine if it is fake or not. Find the best dealer. When considering silver stacking tips for beginners, I had to include finding the best dealer. You will want to find one according to your budget. Where you buy silver will also determine the price that you pay. If you go to local coin shops, they are going to have high premium prices. This is because there aren't as many dealers locally, so they can charge higher prices. A physical storefront also requires a larger overhead to run the business as compared to an online dealer. At local stores, I have found premium prices to be anywhere from $5 to $8 above the spot price of Silver Eagles. However, online you can typically find premiums to be anywhere between $3 to $5. The downside is that some online dealers will require a minimum purchase of $100. Others will charge you for shipping as well. I typically purchase silver through sdbullion.com. They have one of the lowest premium prices. They also don't require a minimum purchase amount. Finally, they have a set shipping amount no matter how much you buy, so it doesn't increase with the more that you purchase. Now, the cheapest way to buy silver is through private dealers. You can typically find them online at silver stacking forums, Craigslist, and even eBay. However, there are higher risks involved. You can't always verify the trustworthiness of these private dealers. Also, you can be risking your own personal security if you choose to meet privately. Number five is start with core essentials. I don't recommend starting your stack with numismatic coins. Instead, I would recommend buying junk silver first. Should a financial crisis happen and the dollar loses its value, then these recognizable coins will be accepted first. From there, you should build a stack of nationally minted coins to build up your weight. Once that is complete, then you can experiment with numismatics. That way, you can quickly liquidate your stack if a financial emergency arises. Number six, find a secure place to store silver. Silver bullion is money. You, would, you wouldn't just leave paper money lying around for the world to see. You typically keep it in a wallet or a safe place. Now, when storing your silver in your home, you will want to consider the possibility of a home invasion or burglary. You don't want the bad guy to grab your stack. This is why it's important to know where to hide valuables in your home. I don't recommend having a safe or at least one that is visible. That is one of the first things that bad guys look for. Instead, you should have decoys like this Pepsi can decoy. You should also have distractions set around. For example, you could set out a small stack of money. Once they grab that, they will believe that they have hit the jackpot and hopefully leave. Another option is to store silver off-site in private vaults. I wouldn't recommend storing silver in a bank. The bank can easily seize it in case of a financial crisis. With a private vault, you will have a little more security. However, I prefer to keep my stack on site. I'm a control freak. I like to have quick access to my stack. And I would agree with this as well. Um, if you have it somewhere, um, then that's another layer that you're going to have to go through if you have to get to it. Uh, you just need to be wise on how, you, um, you know, how you're going to um, hide it in your home or, or whatever if you're going to do that. Um, you know, and if you have a safe, and I don't necessarily agree with not having a safe. Uh, if you have a safe, it needs to be a big one, something that somebody can't carry away. Um, you know, I don't, you've seen those Facebook videos where um, you know there's thieves were carrying uh, carrying out um, you know a nice size safe. Uh, you know, those square kind. Uh, it was a nice size safe, and they didn't have it. They had it in the back of a of a trunk. You know, kind of like roped down. But it was easily spotted, and of course they were stopped. 
but you know the big the big kind of like gun safes that are really heavy to move and then you want to go ahead and bolt them down to the ground um, you know so I don't necessarily uh, agree with not having a safe it's just that if there is a home invasion and you're there and they get violent they might get violent to get you to open the safe to get everything out so uh, again you need to be smart about how you do that but I don't know I would not suggest having it off-site number seven Store silver appropriately. The sad thing about silver is that it can easily tarnish. Silver is initially very beautiful, but if not stored correctly, can become disgusting looking. Tarnish or blemishes will decrease the value of your stack. So some silver stacking tips for beginners would include keeping your stack in airtight containers. The open air can cause it to tarnish. Whenever I buy from SD Bullion, I also purchase the airtight containers. Number eight, know when to purchase silver. As you build your stack, you should always stay up to date with what is going on. It's not only important to know the price, but also things that affect the global economy. So I suggest following sites that cover news on precious metals. When the economy is doing well, the price of silver decreases. But during a crisis or when bad economic news is released, the price increases dramatically. This is because investors are dumping their fiat currency in exchange for precious metals. Conclusion Altogether, these would be my silver stacking tips for beginners. If you have any suggestions or feedback, then please leave, leave it in the comment section below. Your feedback helps the community prepare the smart way now so that we can thrive later on. All right, so just a couple of things here um, that I just wanted to, to point out. Here at the end, he was talking about uh, the economy. You know, when the economy gets bad, silver or precious metals increase. And that really hasn't happened lately. Um, you know, right now the the you know the stock market is at an all-time high, so you have this perception that things are really really good. But even when things were, would uh, would go down, uh, silver and and gold were not jumping that high. Um, so you know, it was, a lot of people are saying that you know things are you got money in bitcoins. People are, you know, it's, it's all, you know, fabricated, blah, blah, blah. People are, are um, purposely, the powers that be are purposely keeping silver down. And I would tell you right now that if you really wanted to buy silver, probably now is the time to buy it. Because a couple of years ago, it was sitting at $20, $21. Uh, now it's, it's sitting at $17. And uh, so if you're um, $17 for the, for the spot price. So if you're interested in buying some, you know, maybe now is the time to do that. I don't see it going any lower. At least I haven't seen it. It's been, um, it, it has been hovering around the 16, 17, and it jumps up to 18. But it really has not moved very far from that uh, lately. And, you know, it's not like I, you know, have a lot of silver or anything like that. Uh, I just pay attention to it because, to me, that has always been, a signal kind of like what this article has said but really it hasn't been uh, and so I, I don't know if that still applies um, possibly if we really got into really bad uh, economic situations then you would really start seeing it rise but I don't think in little jumps you know uh, that, that we have from time to time I, I don't think this it's going to affect it that much um, so you know kind of keep a, a, an eye on on that so I did go to his uh, link to SD Bullion. Uh, they did have decent prices. I didn't look at, um, they had decent prices for 
um, you know, their spot price. And what I always look at the American Eagles and, and see what they're running and kind of compare them. Uh, so they had a decent price. I'm not sure on the shipping. Okay, so, so I went ahead and clicked on it. Uh, their shipping is $7.77 on any order. So, uh, I mean, that's pretty decent. But when you start adding it all up, uh, for instance, JM Bullion has... Uh, has has free shipping right on on whatever you buy. Um, one of the things that you got to consider is sometimes it'll say the price, or you think you're clicking on a price, and it'll say as low as, and so you click on it, and then you realize, oh, in order to get that price, I had to buy over a hundred pieces, right, or uh, or whatever. And then there's all like JM Bullion has prices for. If you buy with PayPal, if you buy with a credit card, if you buy with a check or wire, uh, they have you know different prices that can uh, you know depending on how much you're buying could eat into all of that. So you really need to look at all you know look at all your options. Um, one thing, if you have an Amazon, let's say like during Christmas, someone gives you an Amazon gift card, uh, you can buy you can buy silver off of Amazon, you know, and there's nothing else you want to buy. You can buy silver off of Amazon. Now you are paying a, a bigger premium on Amazon uh, for that. So for instance, um, I think you might be paying, I think an SD bullion and don't quote me on this because I looked at it earlier. Um, you might be paying uh, two or $3 over spot for an American Eagle. Uh, JM bullion was a little bit more. You might be paying like $7 over spot for an American Eagle. Over on Amazon, you were paying ten to eleven dollars over spot. But for instance, uh, it was Prime, so you could uh, you could do it in Prime, uh, so you would have no shipping cost and you would get it in two days. So if it was something that you you wanted it in your hands right away, you could do that and it would be no shipping cost. And so you pay somewhere along the line, they're going to get the it's going to all kind of average out. Uh, you might get a little bit a better deal from one or the other. You just kind of really have to, um, you know, really really look at it all and look at all the costs that are involved. If you are starting out, you might want to consider going to eBay and buying some junk silver. So like rolls of dimes uh, might be. Uh, you're looking at pre-1965 or or uh, you know or before 1965 uh, for silver. And uh, so you 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 can go to to eBay and you can get junk silver rolls of of uh, uh, of, of dimes. You can buy that, or you can buy roll, uh, rolls of quarters, uh, and and you know buy it that way if you want junk silver. Um, there's usually not as big of a premium there, but again, you really still need to uh, consider all the costs because sometimes um, you you know when when you when you boil it all down and you look at everything, you might wind up paying more. So I think that if you are in a situation where you can purchase some silver, I know that there's a lot of people out there is like, hey, there's, uh, you know, the economy is taking its toll. But if you can, even buying like one piece every once in a while, um, eventually that adds up. I know someone who uh, would go downtown as a salesperson. And he would go downtown, and when he went downtown, one of his jobs was right next to, um, he was like a sales representative, whatever. And so one of the, the places that he would go to was right next to a coin, uh, a, a coin shop. And uh, back then, this was, uh, it wasn't so, so long ago, but uh, American Silver Eagles were like five bucks. Uh, 
So he would go in there and he would buy one or two at a time. And uh, he built that up over time. Uh, he has a nice little collection. And so, you know, now, here you go, you know, uh, silver is at, you know, 17 $18. And, and uh, American Silver Eagles are even more than that. So, uh, you know, you start buying one at a time and you, you start adding and you can do that. And like I said, you can go to Amazon if you, if you wanted to just do that. And you have Amazon Prime. Um, or I think, like I said, JM Bullion has free shipping. Or you can come to over to SD Bullion and there's other places where you can get, uh, you know, see how much it's going to run you and see what will happen there. All right. So that's over at smartpreppergear.com. Go check that one out. All right, our last article is actually one of mine. And so on Fridays, I ask um, the Facebook group, hey, what kind of article will you, you know, would you like to, uh, to see? And so last week, there was, there's so many entries there that I just kind of, I didn't ask the question this week. I just went back to that uh, last, for, uh, the question from last week and just kind of picked one. So one of them was like uh, more of a psychological, mental type, uh, you know, preparedness. And uh, got me thinking about an article that I did a long, long time ago. And actually, this article is, uh, this is pre-prepper website for me. So when I, I started, I mean, you got to go back. I'm not going to tell the whole story. But anyway, I had a zombie blog back in the day, long, long time ago. And, uh, you know, I kind of used that. It was a zombie kind of slash preparedness uh, type of a blog. And... Uh, it was right when uh, The Walking Dead was was starting to come out, uh, and I think they had done like a, like a, maybe that first season to see if it was going to go or not, and um, maybe yeah maybe yeah it was, it was just so long ago. But anyway, uh, I'm trying to think of the the actual date because when I have it here on Ed that matters, it's tw it's October 2012, and so I had to write it way before that. So, I mean, it is a pretty old article here. Um, but uh, one of the things in education that we look at is we look at brain-based research and how uh, learning can affect uh, uh, the brain, right? Or how the brain can affect learning and, and using that there are certain things that you can do and certain ways that you can uh, learn and, and uh, uh, procedures that you can do to help you learn things better. And so uh, I tried to apply that here to this article uh, when I did that. And so you'll, you'll see where I'm coming from. So this article is uh, over at edbitmatters.com. Like I said, it's one of the old ones. I had to search for this one, but I knew that it was there. Um, it's called Mental Rehearsal. And uh, let me just go ahead and jump right into it. This article is a repost of an article that I posted on my old zombie blog. That blog was created out of boredom and was really pre-preparedness for me. So please excuse all the zombie references. In The Walking Dead Episode 4, which was Vatos, the, cre the crew that goes back into the city has to come up with a way to grab the cache of guns that Rick left in the middle of the street. At one point, Glenn comes up with a plan. Impressed, Dylan asks him what he used to do for a living. And Glenn responds that he was a pizza delivery guy. A pizza delivery guy comes up with the plan. The point is that you have skills that you don't realize you have. Or worse, you don't recognize that they are skills that are valuable to you. But skills won't do any good if you don't have the mental capacity to act with them in a time of crisis. 
One of the ways you build your mental capacity is to mentally rehearse situations. Brain research shows that this is a very valuable exercise. And the web article entitled Head Games, The Use of Mental Rehearsal to Improve Performance, Dr. Scott Williams of Raj Sewing College of Business, Wright University, says, Mental rehearsal, this is a quote, Mental rehearsal of performance is an excellent way to support skill development. He continues, Mental rehearsal involves imagined mental practice of performing a task as opposed to actual practice. That is, when engaging in mental rehearsal, one imagines, imagines performing without having to actually do anything. End quote. Dr. Williams does note that there needs to be some skill attainment to effectively do this. You can't imagine yourself a fifth degree black belt and have never taken karate in your life. Remember images of the Winter Olympics when they show skiers who close their eyes and imagine themselves taking the turns, zigging and zagging, coming down the hill. And uh, just a side note, if you if they ever you ever see that, so a lot of the times they'll have their ear earbuds in, and you even see them like their body their their body will be leaning one way or the other because they they have. Uh, they've learned the the slope that they're going to be skiing down, and they know the turns, and they know you know turn number five is going to be this way, and I need to make sure that I'm here, and so they're imagining themselves going down uh, this hill, and so that's very beneficial. So continuing on, or imagine the dancer who has to learn a long choreographed dance and goes through it in his or her head. This type of mental rehearsal helps them perform. So identifying your skills and taking time to rehearse your abilities will help you fight off the zombies. Again, you have to have some kind of skill attainment, but who doesn't know how to swing a bat or cut a zombie's head off with a sword? Mentally rehearsing fighting off zombies would have helped Wife Beater Man, who gets eaten in the tent in episode 4. He had no problem beating his wife in plain sight, but the idiot froze when the zombie shows up at his tent door. Coming face to face with the hungry zombie should be the first thing you imagine so that you can survive the apocalypse. And I have the link to uh, the mental rehearsal uh, article there, or the, the the rehearsal article that I uh, that I mentioned here. I don't even know if it, it is. Yeah, it is still there. Wow. Um, so that's a old, very very old, <laughs> very very old article that's even older than the mental rehearsal article. So if you want to go read that uh, article in. Uh, you know, in full, you can go check that one out. But I, I think it's it's important. That's one reason why uh, you know we do. Uh, you you hear a lot of the times when you're practicing with a firearm, dry fire, and that's not really a mental rehearsal. You're actually doing it. You're just not doing it with uh, with ammo in your in your magazine. But you are going through the motions and trying to build muscle memory and those kinds of things. But uh, there is some. Uh, something to being able to think through a scenario, uh, mentally rehearse it. Like if you were bugging out, what kinds of things, you know, what would it look like? What are you doing? If, uh, you know, if you were having to uh, build a fire maybe, how would you go about doing it? See it in your head, trying to imagine. And I'm not trying to say any mystical type of thing here. I'm just trying to get you to, to think about that there, or, to, or to, to understand that there is some value in being able to walk through some of these things in your mind before you actually do it. And so, um, and, and not before you actually do it, but before you actually need it, because you need to have some kind of skill attainment. You need to have some some understanding, some some uh, skills 
there. So when you're talking about building a fire, you're just not, you know, hey, I've never built a fire before. I don't know how to do that. So I'm going to imagine how, you know, not to build a fire because I've never done it before. So you, you need to have some idea of what is, you know, involved in, in what has gone down uh, to be able to do that skill. But being able to walk through that, uh, you know, uh, is very, very valuable and very helpful. Um, a lot of um, people that are highly skilled do that. Uh, even doctors, when they're doing surgeries and, and things like that, will uh, will walk through those uh, mental rehearsals. So anyway, that's over at edthatmatters.com. I'm going to link to it in the show notes like I do all uh, all the other articles. Um, don't have a lot of links in this one. Like I said, uh, this is pre prepper website for me and uh, not a lot of that. I guess I need to go back and, and uh, clean some of these up. Uh, but there is the link to that original article that I was talking about or the mental rehearsal article from uh, the professor uh, who, uh, who I quoted there. All right, guys. Hey, I appreciate you hanging out with me on episode 193. Uh, I'm you know, looking forward to the weekend. We have the week of Thanksgiving coming up. Uh, a lot of good things coming up. But before that, we have the weekend. So I hope that you have a chance to go out and uh, you know, do some, uh, something self-reliant worth. worth you know, uh, that you, you build up something in your preparedness. You attain some kind of skill. Uh, you read a book. You read an article. You listen to a podcast. You do something to help build that self-reliance inside of you so you're not so dependent on all the things out there. I mean, that's one of the things that we're all about right here is, is making sure that we're not so dependent on, on all the, the things that, you know, that, that uh, society says that we should be dependent on, that we're able to uh, be a little bit more self-reliant on ourselves, that we are responsible ultimately you are responsible for you and your family. You can't count on the government. You can't count on, uh, you know, on somebody else to come and to save you. You need to make sure that you are doing that. So hopefully you take a little bit of time to, to do that and enjoy family. Get outside. Get some fresh air. Get something done. And, uh, you know, or maybe you might be in a scenario where you just might need to rest. And that might be the best thing for you. So I hope you have a great weekend and you are doing something that um, is very valuable to you and uh, you really make it count. And uh, then we'll see you next week. And like I said, we're looking forward to that webinar. Hey, if you get a chance, come over to episode 193. Drop me a line in the comment section. I'd love for you to come. If you're not part of the Facebook group, come check us check us out over there. Love to have you part of the of the group and part of something you know bigger. Than, uh, than just you know out there and you can get, uh, get a chance to interact with other people, ask questions, and uh, you know, feel like you're in a group that is going to be there to give you some good advice uh, and sometimes a lot of advice coming from different perspectives. So that's always good. All right, guys. So with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace. <laughs>